You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Washington football team are your defending NFC East champions. And frankly, they've got a lot to look forward to next year. Coming off of a season where their defense looked at times spectacular. They get Ryan Fitzpatrick in at quarterback. Maybe it's time to have incredible optimism if you're a Washington football team fan. But wait, it's never that easy in Washington. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You get bonus free stuff. You get free Spain and Fitz tonight. We're an extra 30 minutes. We're going to get you through a little extra time. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight, uh, and we've got a ton of guests that will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. But, Sarah, we start with a little bit of news out of Washington that I'm surprised hasn't been picked up and talked about more as the NFL has cleared the way for Dan Snyder at this point to buy out the minority partners that are part owners of the Washington football team. Uh, it's complicated the way the money works, but they're allowing him to uh, go in and essentially assert his dominance and become the only owner of the team. So in this process, as he goes through, he'll have until 2028 to pay off whatever debt comes from it. He can buy out everybody that didn't seem to like the direction of the franchise or the culture that was happening behind the scenes. He gets full creative control, if you will. And so if you're a Washington football team fan, you got to feel a little bit excited about your team going towards next year, but now a little bit nervous that somebody that's had a very, very up-and-down tenure as the owner is only going to get more power and less checks and balances. Yeah, this is quite a flip from not too many months ago when those minority owners were trying to force him out. Uh, and those mi- minority owners were, were trying to sort of, by pushing their way out of their stake in the team, perhaps blow up the whole thing, right? We had heard of them wanting out. We had heard of them uh, pushing back on the direction of the team, in particular the fact that there would be yet another investigation into the franchise, this time by attorney Beth Wilkinson looking into uh, sexual harassment allegations, um, a toxic culture there. So these minority owners said, we, we want out. We don't like how this is going. And, and the conversation then became, does the whole team need to be replaced with, with ownership? Uh, how many different ways has Snyder sort of violated the principles of, you know, the respect and the and the good, quote-unquote, good name of, of the NFL and its teams. And instead, somehow, it feels like he will instead gain more power and be more of a fixture there. And that's, uh, I guess I shouldn't say surprising with the NFL, but like we said before, that may be the result of other owners not wanting people to come looking around their houses by shining a light on his and saying he needs out. Well, and that's a that's a fair point, Sarah. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I think part of what's com- concerning for Washington fans is you can look at Dan Snyder's tenure in ownership and you could say, okay, it's been mostly bad on the field. Just being real, it's been mostly a tragic disaster on the field. It's been bad behind the scenes, as we've all found out through these investigations. Like They're also currently going through a rebranding of the team name, and it has been reported that they're considering keeping Washington football team as their (laughs) only name. So if you're a fan of this team, you're looking at it and saying, hey, our owner's been a liability to the product on the field. He's been a liability to the culture that's created uh, off the field, and he's been no help in the process of trying to figure out how to rebrand what's moving forward. It's just a really frustrating moment for a sports fan when you realize that your favorite team's owner is just not good at owning a business because there's no solution to that. The only solution they had was hope that maybe the smaller or the minority owners would be able to come in and say, hey, we're going to figure out a way to change things. And now with them eliminated from the scene, it just feels like more of the same is the destiny for Washington. Yeah, it feels like the person in power who hasn't done a good job of that um has more of it. And as far as the name goes, I've heard a couple people say they don't mind it. 
I think it sounds like a placeholder. I think it's way too similar to WTFs, as I've said millions of times on this show. And, uh, yeah, to me it feels like they need to come up with some branding and think of something better than that. Yeah, I'm with you a thousand percent on that, by the way. Like the, the Washington football team portion of it, I know a lot of soccer fans come out and say, hey, this is great. Why not keep it going? Uh, I'm, I'm all out on that. Uh, in the meantime, there's some other NFL news going on as Mac Jones had his pro day. I always think the interesting stat on Mac Jones from last year at Alabama is that he put up a completion percentage that's never been duplicated in the history of college football before on passes that were in the air for over 35 yards. So when he throws deep, it gets connected. Now, the question is, is he worth a top pick in this NFL draft? Is he at a pro day that people are just absolutely infatuated with? Tim Hasselbeck, ESPN NFL analyst, was on Greeny with Mike Greenberg. Made it clear he doesn't think Mac Jones is worth that highest status. You don't draft the outliers in the first round. Like, you don't, you don't make exceptions for the guys that are going in the first round. And I'm not saying he's a bad prospect, but what I am saying is to draft him in the top half of the first round – when there are, are glaring deficiencies, it's not like it's a, a minor deficiency. It is a glaring deficiency when you compare him to other guys that are drafted in the top half of the first round in terms of the athleticism that they have. And so, um, yeah, like, like to me, I think to go that early in the draft, you need to be checking more of those boxes off. I just do. Yeah, I think Fitz, you know, the problem with pro days, and he's going to have another one that's going to have higher level receivers. In fact, one of the people he was throwing to today was a primarily fullback linebacker. So, you know, it wasn't the perfect setup today. He didn't love how he threw. He thought he could have been better. The thing with the pro day is the questions that we have about him aren't going to be solved by that. He's a guy who threw to a lot of wide open, very talented receivers. That's what a pro day is. A bunch of wide open guys, right? What you need to see is his mobility, his athleticism, or lack thereof in a pro game with the speed and size of all the players out there. Um, there's not a whole lot I think he can do bad or good. I mean, he could have a disastrous day, which he didn't, that could set him back. But to me, this is a matter of a team looking and saying they want to take a chance on a guy with 17 starts um, and believing that he's going to be a fit in a league that really prioritizes athleticism. You well, And athleticism is such a tough situation because you're totally right. Nothing done in a pro day will do anything about the athletic portion of it, but – Man, that's really tough for me to think that somebody will or won't be drafted because of the way that he necessarily runs around. Like, can he break down a defense? Can he figure out a way to find the open guy? And can he make the right throws? Like, that, uh, oversimplifying, but the focus needs to be on that. Mac Jones does all of those things very well. So if it's just that he's immobile and doesn't really get back there fluidly, there's going to be a team that takes a, a chance, to me, somewhere in the teens in the draft on him. So... Uh, obviously a lot more to come there. Uh, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Also, don't want to be oblivious to the ongoing uh, conversation around Deshaun Watson, Sarah, as more accusers have come out of the woodwork. And, it, it, I mean, at this point, it is absolutely alarming when you see the number of women that uh, have accused him of uh, of mistreatment and of sexual allegations. I mean, it's it's stunning when you see where we are at this point with Deshaun completely agree um and i do think that while there is not a ton of information out there that doesn't mean that um it can't be discussed and mentioned it's incredibly uh, troubling these allegations and the numbers keep going up and i think molly Karam did a really nice job on first take yesterday uh with this message to the nfl we have an opportunity here to be proactive rather than reactionary and that's been the knock against the NFL. You can get in front of it, you can acknowledge it, you can condemn the behavior, and you can address it. And I want to take it one step further and then obviously want you guys to react and what you think the NFL should do here. 
If I'm also the NFL, I'm putting Deshaun Watson on the commissioner's exempt list. I look at it this way. He's getting protected. He's getting paid. But he needs to lay low, and they need to deal with this. And when and if his name is cleared, then he can return. But when I'm saying 24 total claims against him, you can't have this man on a football field right now. Max, if this was you or this was you, Stephen A., you wouldn't be on first take today. So address it. He can continue to get paid, and he can return when he clears his name. Again, an opportunity for the NFL to show that they respect women, they protect women. 47% of the NFL audience, that's nearly half, is women. So we support you, and we need to know that you support us. Yeah, I think she nailed it. I do think there's clearly not enough information out for them to make any definitive statements, but they do need to make it very clear how seriously they take this, how important it is for them to do an investigation with transparency and openness. And I do think he needs to be on the exempt list right now. Well, and there's absolutely no loss in putting him on the exempt list right now. I mean, this, that's an easy thing for the NFL to do. It's not costing him any games today. They can start that process and they can at least say, hey, we're looking at it. It would be a strong and I think valuable message at this point as everybody tries to figure out what's going on and how to move forward with it. We'll keep you updated as we figure out any more information on it. But coming up next, which team's been the most impressive in the NCAA tournament? It was debated on around the horn. We're going to do it. Well, we're going to try all that again. We'll do it here as well with After the Horn. (laughs) Look at me learning how to read. That's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Remember, you're getting bonus time tonight. We're going to take you all the way into the Nets Jazz game. That's at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, by the way, where you can get all sorts of exclusive stuff out there that you can't get anywhere else. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're brought to you by Wendy's, proud sponsor of the 2021 John R. Wooden Men's and Women's Player of the Year. So, obviously, we've been talking a lot about uh, the women's tournament and the video that went viral and so what better way to talk about it than talk with the person that's responsible for it? Sedona Prince joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Thanks so much for the time. Congratulations on a big win today. You guys are headed to the Sweet 16. We'll get to the video, obviously, in a second. But walk me through sort of the emotions. What's it feel like to know you're headed to the Sweet 16? Oh, man. Um, hey, guys. Thank you for, for letting <laughs> me on. Um, wow. It feels amazing. This is my first year of playing um, college basketball on this big of a stage. And so it feels so good. All my girls and I were, were really excited. Um, a lot of tears of joy and especially for, for Niar Sabali and I, um, you know, after so many injuries, it's it's good to be back and now lead our team to a victory into the C-16. What was the messaging to your team at the beginning of this year? Obviously, Sabrina Ionescu leaves. Maybe there's an expectation of a down year or just a step back when you lose a player of that caliber. Um, so when you step in and, and you're a fresh face and you want to carry that mantle, what is what is Coach telling you guys about not, not having a letdown this year? Yeah. Uh, I mean, with last year's team, we were just so powerful. And, and, and our season got cut short due to COVID. And so... We really just wanted to continue their legacy that they left at Oregon um, and by creating our new team. And we have so many new faces, um, nine newcomers. And so by just coming out and playing as hard as we can um, with just so much heart and passion, that's what we kind of want to, you know, base our team around. And, and yeah, it worked out. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's an amazing feeling. Okay, so, you know, as everyone's alluded to, you're picking up the where they left off and you're trying to cement your own legacy 
And obviously, you were really passionate about the differences in weight rooms and training facilities that were provided to the men's mm-hmm. and the women's tournaments. So was there any fear on your part on posting a video about that, knowing how big all of this moment is and that you'd be taking on the NCAA in this process? Yeah, of course. I had that, that doubt in my head of like, if I post this, it's going to bring so much attention to, to me and my team and, and this whole, you know, this whole controversy. And I, all my teammates were like, Hey dude, like it went viral. Now you got to back it up. And so that's what I did. And, and, um, our whole team had a great performance tonight and now we have such more viewership, uh, for our team and, and for this tournament that we deserve. And so it's, it's pretty incredible. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Sedona Prince of Oregon basketball. And you're right. You know, when you're the face of that and you get millions and millions of views, you don't want to have a dud of a game. But you did quite all right. (laughs) Right. 22 points, four rebounds, four blocks in taking down number three, Georgia. You know, you had to sit out two seasons. There was, of course, COVID and the issues with your transfer. And then there was an injury in your one season with the Longhorns. How much does it? feel special just to be out there and then to have it be uh, such a successful season so far? Oh, it's, it's the most amazing feeling. I thought I was never going to play basketball again, let alone, I mean, there was, a, there was a possibility of me losing my leg at one point. And so now being able to play at the highest level um, in college and coming out and now continuing to the Sweet 16 mm-hmm. um, and being on such a big stage um, and also having such a big platform and stuff and being able to share my opinions and my views and, you know, what we deserve, it is, it's the most amazing feeling. Um, I cannot describe it. I've been, I've been waiting for this moment since I was a young kid and it got, got kind of, you know, I got messed up a little bit. My freshman and sophomore year but I'm on the right track now and I'm excited to continue going how difficult is it to control the adrenaline in that knowing what you've been through and how much it means and what this moment means to you oh um it's honestly it's it's a big shout out to my teammates because without them I would be a big a big mess um they control me and I'm also a very like energetic player I get very you know caught up in the hype and I'm I you know I I get emotional a lot. And so they calm me down and they're always surrounding me and saying like, Hey, next play or Hey, like, you know, get this, this, and this next. And so having them around me and, and to control me and the adrenaline and to just calm me down, it is pretty incredible. And yeah, I mean, shout out to them. <laughs> the Ducks Sedona Prince with us on Spain and Fitz. I started following you on social media after the video went viral and, and your posts are funny and a lot of them are silly. And uh, I'm curious, you are the tallest, tied for the tallest player ever to play for the Ducks, 6'7". I think I'm tall at six feet. I have trouble finding (laughs) clothes and trying to look cute. And here you are just looking stylish in all your pics and, and, you know, showing off your fits. How are you accomplishing this? Do you have a special store? Do you have a secret that you need to tell of us? (laughs) Honestly, it's thrift store shopping. I go thrifting like every other week. And I find such cool finds. Like, I just, like, try everything on. And I'm like, even something that I don't think would fit my style, I'm like, let me just try it on. And I end up buying it. And so that kind of stuff and just, like, exploring, you know, like, different places and, and shopping all the time. I thank you. Pre- appreciate that. I'm glad someone <laughs> appreciates my style. <laughs> uh, I'm just lost here because, like, I, I go to thrift stores. I can't find anything. Like, I'm a, I'm a 5'9 <laughs> guy. Like, I'm as average as can be in size and everything. There's never anything for me in the thrift store. I don't know how you guys do it. I, it just it, it, it baffles. It's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as you guys go through this tournament, you know, and you're trying to find your focus in each time, as you've gone through this, like what's been the challenge in each round, the biggest challenge for you in each round going in? Oh, just just refocusing, like knowing that no matter what's happened in, in the, the beginning of the season, I mean, we after Pac-12 play, like we lost 
eight or eight or nine games uh, out of ten, and so we were just really really deep down as a team, and so we all had to come together and decide that every game, you know, is we take it one at a time and we refocus and we just come out and play as hard as we possibly can with energy and passion, and so you know, controlling that, controlling the controllables, and just doing what we do best is how we've been successful and now how we're you know continuing to play and get to you know another game guaranteed. Um. You know, you, you you made the video. There were some upgrades and some updates, but I wonder, uh, does it feel special? Does it feel like you're you're at the NCAA tournament, or does it still feel like some of the afterthoughts that they had are affecting your your feeling of this experience? I would say the biggest thing that has made it so hard to like really get into the whole NCAA experience is COVID. Um, you know, we have only only our parents can really come. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still it's still just difficult because it's going to be so different um, fighting different arenas and different hotels to get to separate teams. Um, and it's just, you know, it's not the experience we wish we could have had. We're in a bubble. Um, we can't really leave our rooms. All we can do is go into our balconies and wave to our parents down below. Um, and so fighting that is, is difficult, but yeah, I mean, it's, it still doesn't quite feel like the, the whole NCAA experience, but I mean, it's still pretty incredible. It's, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing for, for me and my teammates here. It's been, it's been, it's been a blast. So Donna, real, real quick, before we let you go, was there anybody that reacted to the video that you looked at and thought, Oh my God, I can't believe they saw it. Was there like an aha moment for you? Oh my goodness. You know, okay. So Ellen Pompeo, who plays Meredith Gray, uh, on, uh, Mm-hmm. Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. She she replied to that and then made a video uh, with her son. Uh, you know, like interact or reacting to that. And so I was just like, Love I it. was shocked for that one because I'm a, I'm a big Grey's Anatomy fan. So I was like, whoa. So that was the coolest thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, we appreciate you joining us. Congrats on a great run so far. It's just beginning for you guys. It's a, thank you so much for the time, Sedona. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Congrats to her and to Oregon for getting the win, 57-50 over Georgia today, to advance to the Sweet 16. And awesome that she used her platform to Absolutely. to affect so much conversation. Like, it's just, it's hard to root and to do anything other than root loudly for people that use that platform for that reason. So, a great work by her. All right, coming up, we're just getting started. We're going to talk to the head coach of another squad headed to the Sweet 16. As we get you caught up on everything you need to know, we'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, Apple iTunes podcast app, ESPN app, etc. We're taking you into Nets Jazz tonight. That's a 930 Eastern start here on ESPN Radio. And joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, it's Georgia Tech women's head coach Nell Fortner. So you guys beat West Virginia 73-56 yesterday. You punch your ticket to the Sweet 16 Want to get into some other stuff, but let's start there. How good did that feel after that near miss in the opening round? God, it was, it was awesome. It was a great feeling to bring a team here who none of the players have ever played in the NCAA tournament and to get that second round win to the Sweet 16. is It was a, a pure joy being able to, to celebrate that with this bunch. Uh, Coach, I know we're going to talk a lot about the challenges in general, but so far being in the bubble, what's the biggest challenge for your team? Oh, my gosh. Um getting used to really just being in your room, the pri- you know, primarily, because you can't go down the elevators until you're cleared to go down the elevators. You can't go anywhere. So thank God we, we all have a patio. We have porches on our, off of our hotel rooms that we can at least get outside because you can't even go outside, really. So 
unless we're walking somewhere to go COVID test. But um, but we, we're used to it now, so life goes on. So we've kind of gotten used to it. Coach, uh, you talk about COVID testing. There was that great viral video of the men's BYU game doing uh, team doing sort of like roll call and making their COVID tests <laughs> a big production. Are you guys doing that, or is it a little more business, like in and out? Um, yeah, yeah, well, listen to this. We have to walk a total of a mile and a half every day to go COVID test. So we're, <laughs> we're not having COVID testing. <laughs> we're not having COVID testing in our room or in our hotel. We walk uh, a total of about a, a little over a mile and a half to go do our COVID testing. Um, and actually, we did it last night after our game, 9 o'clock. We're walking through mm. downtown San Antonio to go COVID test. So don't get me started now. Here I go. Uh-huh. We want to get you started. <laughs> I mean, let's just go there. While we've got you rolling, and we're talking to Georgia Tech women's basketball coach Nell Fortner. Uh, coach, there are certain times on Twitter which can be a cesspool of awful, but there are certain times that I can't hit the like button hard enough. There's, I wish there was a super like button. I think that's how a lot of us felt as you uh, had a, some strong words that were out on Twitter and your thank you note to the NCAA making it clear that they have shown off your quote, the disparities between the men's and women's tournament that are on full display in San Antonio. I won't read the full statement here, but coach, let's start with the, the basics when you're constructing that. I mean, is it, do you have any sort of nerves in putting that statement out while you're still in the tournament? Well, uh, Actually, yes, because I had it written for a few days, and I just decided. I woke up um, a couple of days, you know, that morning, and just said, "I'm going to put this out. I need to, I need to stand up." And and I'm a woman coach. I coach young women, and, and I need to, I need to say this. And so, yes, there was trepidation, but look, uncomfortable is what creates change. It creates change in people. It creates change in things that are going on. So to be uncomfortable, that's not a bad thing. Let's let's. Let's see if we can get something out there and create some change. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Georgia Tech women's head coach Nell Fortner. By the way, just off topic, I have to mention that even deep into OT, your hair is giving me volume and bounce, uh, a deep side part realness, and I really respect that. No matter how far into the game, <laughs> your hair is still crushing it. Um, it's impressive. It's really impressive. Um, let's get back to this letter because I actually, um, in a similar tone of voice that you were thanking the NCAA, I was thanking the people in my Twitter mentions who arrived to argue that it's just a matter of financials. And I think you so uh, well put the idea that, first of all, there's a massive amount of com- money coming from the women's tournament. And even so, even in you know beyond that, the idea that these women would be the best in the country and show up and, and it be so clearly an afterthought to give them the assets and resources, even the quality of COVID testing being less than the men. Um, who is being held responsible for this ultimately? We can yell at the quote-unquote NCAA, but who do we need to take our actual uh, anger to? Look, I, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question because really all, all the only people we can hold our anger to is the NCAA. They run these championships. They've been running them for as long as we've been having NCAA championships. So they're the ones that that are ultimately held responsible. Um, you, you know, I mean, think about this. Y'all, 49, almost 50 years ago, they had to create a law to even give women the opportunity to play sports in public institutions. And so you start going all the way back to that, and here we are. We're still battling and still trying to get some kind of um, even footing with our male counterparts every day in every sport. So who do you go argue to? Hell, I guess it's the Supreme Court. I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> like there's, there's. Uh, I guess there's maybe somebody higher up in the NCAA, but right now that's where it's got to start for us. Well, 
Megan Rapino was at the White Italy. House today, so maybe she's on the right well, track. There <laughs> you go. Go get them, Megan. The go get them. <laughs> Coach, I think it's interesting in your statement, you pointed out the Twitter activity and the number of views, the, the video we've all seen at this point of the weight room issues. Yeah has gotten, there is so much more attention being paid, not just by the women that are involved in this, but let's also be real about the NBA players and the number of people on the men's side. I mean, it feels like everyone is looking at this and saying, how did this happen? Does it feel like there is more exposure right now to the issue than ever ever before? There's no question that there is, because social media is making it that way. Look, these young people have grown up with social media. They They are not going to be denied anything. They're going to put it out there. They're going to show what's going on. This is not going away. And, and it's because of social media. So uh, everybody better get, better get ready. And there needs to be some solutions coming down the pipe because this is not going away. These young people are not going to allow that. Completely agree. Nell Fortner, the head coach of Georgia Tech women's basketball with us here on Spain and Fitz. So you get to the Sweet 16, a massive accomplishment. Like you said, you have a bunch of, of, of young ladies that have not competed at this level. How do you make sure that they respect the situation but are loose and treat it like another basketball game? Yeah, and that's all we can do right now because uh, what we're talking about as far as uh, the inequities in our game that has to come. We have to take care of that at another time. Right now, it's all about the game, and it's all about staying focused on on the goal at hand, and that is survive and advance and go as far as you can in this tournament. And and our players totally understand that. So um, it's not hard to keep them focused and and keep them ready to to go attack the task at hand. Does it, does the COVID limitations? We've talked a lot about it. You mentioned it earlier. You can't go down to the elevator. Does that make it tougher or easier to keep everybody sort of on track to focus for just this game and just this tournament? <laughs> yeah, probably easier actually, um, <laughs> because there is no there is no just leaving the hotel to go walk around. You just can't. That's not allowed. So um, it's allowed uh, us to you know we're a tight knit group, um, and it's it's allowed us to keep keep everybody really really tight and and in that regard here you are you're here trying to win something that's really big that's the biggest thing in your sport so you know they're focused it's not like they want to go running around anyway so but it's allowed us to become probably a little bit closer and and the team chemistry just to allow it to continue to flourish you've got south carolina the top seed on saturday you uh as a team will not be able to afford some of the early mistakes that have happened in the first two rounds right uh the uh, stephen f austin slow start early turnovers against west virginia how do you get them to be sharper off the top yeah you really hope that those two games now that you've had them under your belt they've got a much better feel about playing in this tournament that first game against Stephen F. Austin they were nervous they, they didn't know what to expect it was just a whole different atmosphere and feel so that was a tough one we were lucky to escape that one but I felt like after those first four turnovers yesterday to start the game against West Virginia we settled in and really found our groove defensively which always helps us on the offensive end so I think the next game yeah we're playing South Carolina they're fantastic good god they're they're, uh, they're big, they're fast, you, you better get back in transition. But um, we've had two games under our belt. We're excited to play, and we're excited to see what we can do. Well, Coach, we're looking forward to the game. I'm sure it's going to be a fun watch. This has been a hell of a tournament so far, and uh, you guys help them with that. So good luck to the squad, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so hey, much, Hey, y'all, Coach. thanks a lot. Have a great day. Going to be a good one for sure on Saturday at Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings. Visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. Coming up next, as promised, which team has been the most impressive in the NCAA tournament? The debate next on ESPN Radio. 
You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Massive wins for women's tournament teams en route to the Sweet 16. Some epic beatdowns, some from teams you'd expect, maybe some others a little surprising. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're taking you into Nets Jazz here on ESPN Radio at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. So on Around the Horn today, we were asked the tantalizing question of which of the women's teams that have made the Sweet 16 have been the most impressive en route. And uh, here's how that went. You've already gone around the horn, but what happens after the horn? Find out now on Spain and Fitz. March Madness, I say again, March Madness. I mean, large numbers put up by the favorites here as we're approaching the end of the round of 32. Baylor, both wins by 40-plus. UConn by 36 yesterday. Stanford had to work a little bit for an overall favorite. Maryland today, all gas, no breaks. That offense is humming against Bama. Sarah Spain, start to you. Who's been most impressive? Yeah, I mean, it's maybe hard to tell if beating the brakes off someone early is going to translate to later play, but I have to go with UConn and Baylor almost doubling up their last opponents. And to your point with Baylor, two 40-point wins in this tournament. They held Virginia Tech to six points in the fourth quarter. A tournament team in a second round to six points. I mean, that's unbelievable. So, yeah, for me, it's the way they've won their game so far that has me really maybe giving them more more than I thought early on when I really had South Carolina and Stanford as the overall favorites. Mm-hmm. L. Duncan, most impressive so far? Yeah, I'm going to go Michigan. Um, they had to beat Tennessee mm. to get to the Sweet 16, a team that is bigger than them, stronger than them. They out-physicaled them. I think they held Tennessee to 19 points in the first half. They out-rebounded Tennessee. Mm. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the country. And even more in the macro than that, they had two, I believe, COVID-related breaks in their season. They started out 10-0. They had their highest seeding uh, in tournament history, and they are in the Sweet 16 for the first time in program history. So I think what they're doing is is – Stealing a little bit of that attention away from the Michigan men because right now those ladies are the little engine that could. The little engine that could. Michigan. Big Michigan, Michigan here. But off. it is there. They're a six seed, knocked off Tennessee, who had some struggle even in the first round of this tournament. Mina Kimes, who's been most impressive so far. Um, L went for an underdog. I'm going to go in the opposite direction and say Baylor. Uh, dominant, terrifying defense, which shouldn't be surprising given that. They've had a dominant defense now for four years, leading the country in opposing field goal percentage. But what they've done in this tournament and what they did to Virginia Tech, they've got the Hokies have a six foot five center, Elizabeth Kitley. She's been awesome. They held her to two for 12. Queen Egbo, their own center, had seven blocks. They are a brick wall, and I just don't see any other team getting past. Good to be the queen. And Tim Kalashaw, how about you? I mean, I could go Baylor too, but my my cohorts have, have, have very nicely described what the Bears are doing to people. I just want to remind people about South Carolina and the fact that they this is their seventh straight Sweet 16. They played the best team uh, of the recent games the one seeds had to play. They played an Oregon State team that was the best three-point shooting team in the country, and they shut them down. They win with defense. That's what Don Staley has been preaching for years there. And I think they, they're usually not in that conversation with UConn and Baylor, but I think they deserve their place in it. All right, Fitz, now's your chance. Your audition for Around the Horn. What's your take? 
Look, you guys all missed the boat on this. Like, it's Uh-oh. easy to say that Baylor <laughs> is the most impressive because of the margin of victory, and it's easy to say that uh, Connecticut is because they're UConn, right? But at some point, expectation changes the way you perceive everything. Caitlin Clark has been mm-hmm. absolutely incredible for Iowa and has just been absolutely thrashing throughout the course of this se- season. But let's be real. Like, you know that the one way you're going to beat Iowa is to take away Caitlin, and all she did over Kentucky was still go for 35-7-6. and six. I mean, the, the, Iowa at this point has one weapon that can beat you better than anybody else can with Caitlin and she absolutely still enforced her will that to me is the most impressive part of it and I don't know that I can necessarily say that Iowa will get rolled by UConn that's going to be a good matchup between a bunch of women that can score with the basketball so I think Iowa was the most impressive because we weren't expecting it that is a great take and I will throw some weight behind it too because you're right freshman Caitlin Clark outscored Kentucky in the first half of the game by herself 24 points to Kentucky's 22 at the half and yeah we're gonna get an incredible matchup of Caitlin Clark versus Paige Beckers two freshman phenoms who love each other big fans of each other which is such a great thing that they're excited to face each other and you know fits in the women's game especially those players that sort of transcend and become bigger than the game itself that people have on their radar as you know, I'm writing down this this game this time. I'm it's appointment viewing when Paige Beckers is playing or when Kaylin Clark is playing. That's just great for the game. And to know they're both freshmen, you're gonna throw AZ Fudd into the mix at UConn next year. Um, that's 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 really something to look forward to. I think one of the most impressive things, and, and in fairness, we've shown a lot of highlights on Caitlin's work this year uh, on Countdown to Game Day. One of the most impressive things is that she can create a shot wherever she needs to and she can get around anybody. So, like, I don't know how, in, in defense of anybody trying to slow her down, I don't know how you do it. That's what's really going to be interesting about this because Paige and, and Caitlin are both very smooth the way they play, and that in and of itself is what everybody should be watching for in this game because it's just fun to watch two dynamic people that work the floor the way they do. It, it's really incredible work for her, and part of the reason that I continue to say that there's a lot more parity than we realize across the mm-hmm. landscape for women's basketball right now. Yeah, it's so much better than it used to be in terms of you're still getting a lot of chalk, but the games are much closer. We see some upsets, and there's a lot more good teams. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You know, I've also really, you know, with Caitlin Clark, she was very heavily recruited. She had a great year. You mentioned you guys have shown highlights from her, but for a lot of people, this is really her coming out party is, is this tournament. And the same goes for Moon Urson, who, you know, as a senior, you'd think we would have heard more about her, but she was kind of behind the scenes for the first couple years, and now she's absolutely a huge part of the success for this Baylor team. And she came out of high school having won Gatorade Player of the Year three times. So the expectations for her at the collegiate level may be not met early on, um, but now blossoming as a senior and just so fun to watch. Um, and that's one of the best parts about the tournament is you learn about these players that if you haven't watched a ton of regular season and there's just so many games and teams, it's understandable if you haven't had a chance to catch all of them. But they get on this stage, and uh, she's particularly been a super fun one to watch. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because Baylor in general, their basketball program on the men's and women's side, have gotten so good, and there's so much personality behind it. One of the things that has been really cool to see over the course of the season is the way the men and women's programs have supported each other. But there's a lot of personality behind all of it that makes it fun to watch and fun to cover. Like Baylor is sneakily just turned themselves into this quiet juggernaut across the board. Like what they're able to do as a basketball school, I think is really impressive. Yeah. And Baylor, like I mentioned in the clip there, both of their wins by 40 plus. That's unreal. Connecticut, 
absolutely blowing out teams, too. And we remember that UConn's been doing this without Gino up until now. Gino just arrived in San Antonio today. There was a cute video of the team greeting him excitedly. Um, he missed those games with with the positive COVID test. So assistant, uh, or sorry, associate head coach Chris Daly took over. Um, she's been with Oriama for 36 years. Um, so, I mean, it's just kind of funny to think how they've been dominating and it hasn't even been with Gino on the sidelines. Yeah, and that's the the interesting. I'll go back to what El said too with Baylor. Like, how do you score on this Baylor team, right? And then you think about UConn. UConn can get so many explosive points so quickly. It's just it it's maddening to see the way that they break games open early, and then once it's broken, it, it's just impossible to come back. It's a team that partially because of coaching just doesn't make a lot of mistakes throughout the course of the game. We know that anyway, but it feels like it, they've had killer instinct from day one with this group of girls. Like the minute they're out on you, you're not coming back from it. And we saw that even with Paige and the way she went off earlier this season against South Carolina, you know, last 13 points of the game. Like there's just this moment where UConn has a belief that they can score explosively in bunches so quickly. It's fun to watch. Yeah. And the other thing that they've got going for them is just mentally the fear. Right. I mean, there's great teams, uh, you know, the Stanford, South Carolinas, et cetera. They just don't have that same vibe, even though it's been a number of years since uh, UConn has won it all. They they walk into the court and you're just already trembling and you get behind and it feels insurmountable. And that's that's the kind of bonus that you get from being as dominant, dominant as they have been uh, for so long. So, um this tournament. By the way, really as you fun. pointed out, they're only going to get more dominant over the next couple of years. The recruiting class is coming in. Woo! Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tasty. Uh, <laughs> I got to take a look at my bracket. See if I'm still beating you on the women's side. We'll have to take a look at the Spain and Fitz group and the Sarah Spain group and see if I'm still uh, leading the way there. I can only imagine the answer is yes. Coming up next, we're going to catch up with the coach of one of the NCAA tournament's best stories. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. It's so fun to be in Chicago when Loyola Chicago is doing their thing, and they're doing it again after a huge win over Illinois. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Nets Jazz coming up at 930 Eastern on ESPN Radio. James Harden out. Due to neck soreness, that's new info on that. We'll take you into that game. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, coming back, Loyola Chicago head coach Porter Mosier. First question, let's get back to where we were last week when I unfortunately had to hit you with the heart out, and I appreciate you coming back despite that. I was saying that you're all staying in the JW together, and I would be pranking all the other teams if I were you, and you said, I have a great story, and then we cut you off. So this is an incredible multi-day tease. Let's pay it off here. Let's hear the story. I know. You kiboshed me, Sarah. Like, I'm, I'm all pumped <laughs> up. I was, I was bouncing off the walls. <laughs> I was bouncing off the walls. We bust, just beat Georgia Tech. You were the first radio show I did, and then you, you, you cut me off after like 30 seconds. And, and now I can't remember the damn story. I, no. I, I, I like, remember I was about to tell a great story, and I can't remember I think the story. It was story. something relating to COVID and all the teams being right on top of each other at the JW. Something about that, but uh, uh, must not have been that oh, great. I, then, well, coach. I think it was. It, <laughs> I know it, it most likely wasn't, but uh, <laughs> but but I do remember this. This this did happen with the COVID. Is where all the all the teams are in a row. These ballrooms, like you go down, it was Virginia or West Virginia, Maryland, LSU. Um, it was Houston, Texas, North Carolina, Oklahoma State. Everybody's on a row in these ballrooms. And uh, all of a sudden they had like the caution tape 
up on all these carts, and it looked like hazmat. Like everyone was wheeling VCU out, and it was like so sad because VCU had to leave. And it was mm. that was a, that was just such a sad thing for those kids yeah, for to sure. see that happen. I tell you what, everybody, everybody was shook because you know we're, it is kind of like AAU. You're talking, you're seeing everybody in the halls, but um, yeah, that was a that was a that was a, a tough scene seeing them get wheeled out. But it, it was it's kind of neat seeing all the other teams and everybody here. Coach, let's start with an apology. I, I owe you an apology for the things I may have said about what you did to my bracket uh, on <laughs> over the weekend. I'll be honest about it. I had Illinois going to the final. That obviously didn't work out for me. But this team at this point, as much as we're talking about a Cinderella run, you guys also have an NIT berth. Like, you're postseason ready at this point. It's part of the culture of what you're doing. So how is it different this time being where you guys was last time? You know, I don't know if it's if it's any different. We're, we, we're, it's... We're still chasing. We still believe. We're still together. And the cool thing about sustaining what we've done at Loyola is sometimes when you do another run at a, at a level like we're a program like we're at, like you have everybody back. We only have two guys that play from that team. Everybody else is new. And that's kind of cool. But nothing's really different. We're, we're, we're really connected. Uh, we really believe. Um, I think we're defending at a high level. I think we share it. We move it. We space it. Um, and, you know, just – just love this, you know, about competing and advancing. I think that's, I mean, everything, in my opinion, that we're chasing is the same. Coach Porter Moser with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, Coach, you know, the the way that you've had this team um, advancing as far as they have the last couple of years has a lot of people making comparisons to Gonzaga. The idea that this could be a sustained excellence, a perennial uh, tournament team. What do you think when you hear that? I mean, you just yeah, – everybody is puts at any level is putting Gonzaga up there now, not just the Missouri Valleys of the world. Um, you know, there's parents. They're a Jesuit school. We're a Jesuit school. Um, they've really started to sustain success and make it a place to where they maybe kids want to go and, and continue to get higher and higher level kids. So, you know, it, it's, it's awesome. Um, it's a loft. we we got a ways to go. Um, but we feel we're getting closer. You know, you know, if I, if I said this eight years ago – when we, were, we won the CBI, I think, six years ago, and that was big for our program. We First postseason, we went in, we ran, rattled off five in a row, won the CBI. Then the next time we got in the NCA. So we're building. We're moving up. And I feel like we're sustaining it. So when you hear that comparison, it's a, you have a ton of respect for what Gonzaga does. And you know, I mean, they're one in the country. I mean, what they've done of how many Sweet 16s in a row, I mean, they're really – but so – it's, it's, it's a place where you look at and say, you know, I want to go there. Let's keep grinding. Let's keep going. And, and that's where you want to go. In a season where you guys went 26-4, and four, Coach, I mean, obviously this has been such a weird year in general. What's been the biggest challenge for you guys to navigate in COVID? You know, um, the season, the shutdown was tough. You know, I, I think that, I'll say this, this. The COVID season started – back in, what, March or April of last year when we get shut down. So when you ask me what the toughest part was, the toughest part was that two major upheavals in your world collided. It was the pandemic, quarantine, three months, the the world of Zoom. You're trying to connect with your players and stay connected with them through Zoom every day. And then all of a sudden, George Floyd happened, and you're dealing with social justice issues, and you can't be with them face-to-face. Those two things colliding to me was really hard. I mean, I wanted to be face-to-face giving my players a hug. 
I wanted to have these conversations face to face and we had to have them on zoom. Um, then we progressed out of it and we were able to get back on campus to do that. And so we're grinding, 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 and we're two weeks away from the destination point, November 25th to start the season. And all of a sudden we te- everybody tested positive. 16 out of 17 players, four out of six coaches, and we got shut down. And that was tough because we were just anticipation. We came back, and the first week, people don't talk about this. I love how they talk about other schools when they come back from COVID, but no one said anything about this. You know, two of our losses came back the week after we were three weeks on COVID, and everybody had COVID. It was Wisconsin and and Richmond. Those those losses came back the week after we came COVID. And uh, no excuses, um, but – that was tough to kind of start it up. And then now I tell you, we just got some momentum. We haven't had any shutdown since, and we've been kind of going and, but that's the answer to the question. You got two, you're dealing with young people, the relationships that we're, of, of what we're doing with our family and you get those two major things collide when you can't be together. That was tough. It's Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Porter Moser, head coach of Loyola, Chicago, making their way back to the sweet 16 and you'll be taking on Oregon State, 12th seeded. So I've got a two-parter. Number one, do you think it'll be higher scoring than the first meeting, which was a 31-19 Loyola victory in 1927? Uh, can we guarantee guarantee a higher score? <laughs> Sarah, if we don't have a higher score, oh, Coach Tinkle and me are going to have we're going we're gonna to see each other in the offseason. Real one, problem. That, Real only problem. you. That was a great set. You pulled that one out of your hat right there. That's right. I sure did. My hat. 16. My hat is what he said. Um, and then secondarily, how do you make sure that there's no letdown? You play a number one seed like Illinois. It's an in-state rival. Guys are fired up if Illinois didn't go recruiting them. And you get the win. And now it's a 12 seed. How do you make sure that they don't you know, roll into this one without taking it seriously enough? It was the first thing I said to him the next day. After we got back together, I said, the Illinois game was not our national championship. That was one game that was in our way to get to the Sweet 16. Now we have one game in our way to get to the lead eight. We framed it that way. We said we were just like, that was not our national championship. We didn't set out to beat our in-state rival. They just happened to be bracketed there, and that's where we're going. And we were just framing it that way. That is 100% was not the national championship game. And uh, we got a ton of respect for Oregon State. I mean, they're one of the hottest teams in the tournament. Think about the five straight games they've won. Oregon, UCLA, Colorado, Tennessee, and Oklahoma State. All NCAA tournament teams won five in a row. And this is the third Power Five tournament championship team we're playing in the tournament. You mm-hmm. know, Georgia Tech won the ACC tourney. Big Ten was Illinois, and now this. So we, we, there's no there's – no, it, 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 it isn't going to be because of letdown. We're not let down. We are going to be completely prepared, tons of respect for their program, and especially how hot they're playing. Coach, let's let's have a real honest conversation here about a, a fashion <laughs> issue that I have with college basketball that maybe you can help me with. You've got some guys that are yep, part of the I'm mustache in. trend. I mean, there's there's this weird yes. like '70s mustache trend happening across college basketball right now. You've got some guys. Have you sat down with any of your guys and said, "Hey, when you look at this 30 years from now, you're going to regret this decision because the mustaches"? I'm not sure they work, Coach. <laughs> You know what? For Cameron Crabwick, it does work. It does work. And I said, and he—he's just. I mean, he's just beats to his own drum. I mean, he's the—he's the best fun-loving dude. And uh, I tell you, I would rather have a kid have a Chicago bus driver mustache 
<laughs> and score 21 points, eight rebounds, and six assists <laughs> than having some guy that looks like a model. You know, he's uh, he's just, you know, he, he, that's just who he is. He, he's, I mean, I don't know if you saw him on the Dan Patrick show, but it was hysterical. They got him to, to karaoke and sing Hall & Oates <laughs> song. And nice. everybody, like, I'm watching it, I'm watching it, and I'm, I'm hearing Dan bait him to do it, and I'm like, oh, crap, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he busts, he busts out into a version of Private Eye. So I'm like, oh, man. But you know what? It, it's, it's him. You'd be more shocked if he didn't do it that just when you know him. And uh, he happens to be a fan of a particular team where there happen oh, yeah. to be some people with mustaches. Oh, so I'm not surprised. It's not exactly a Ditka, but... Um, I'm going with no Chicago hate. bus driver is the new description for that Chicago mustache. Chicago bus so, driver. Way, that is, that is well, well, maybe done people you, should consider guarding the bus driver because he's, he's having a, a real easy time so far getting it done. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to head coach Porter Moser from Loyola Chicago. we got to let you go, coach, but I wanted to quickly ask you, you know, you talked about keeping the team focused against a lower seed. How do you stay focused with so much conversation about your job and opportunities elsewhere? You know, I've been through it. I've been through it. And, um, you just, I ask them all the time. I go, you got, or you got to block it out, the, all the, the stuff that's going on with you guys and have like a focus. And, you know, it's, it's real. It's all that. But you know what? I've been through it. It's just, they're going to get 110% of Porter Moser. I mean, we, you work all year to get to this point. Um, we're in the Sweet 16. We're, we're trying to advance. And uh, so you just got to block it out, all your attention, all your focus, all your passion, energy. And the thing, how they know, they know that I'm focused is our preparation. They know we'll be uber, I'm prepared every practice. They know I bring it every practice. So not worried about that. That They know that we're all locked in, focusing on the things we need to focus. Mm. Well, you've been doing it so far, and we look forward to the next matchup. Thanks so much for time, uh, for the time, Coach, and you're welcome for not cutting you off. <laughs> you guys, thanks for having me on, man. See you later. <laughs> Great stuff, as always, from Porter Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll update you on the results of the Northwest region of the pandemic bracket and open up the Southwest. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Great responses to our bracket this year. The Spain and Fitz presents Pandemic Madness, What Got You Through 2020 bracket. The voting was heated, and we had a couple first-round upsets. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, taking you into Nets Jazz. So you get an extra 30 minutes of Spain and Fitz tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get to tonight's voting, uh, but first, we have a fancy, sexy voice man intro mm. now. Spain and Fitz present Pandemic Madness. Fuck you, 2020. That's right. Just the kind of drama we're looking for. This is very serious matter, and that is uh, befitting of the seriousness of it. I just posted the updated bracket at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Uh, We've got Schitt's Creek easily beating Puzzles. The one seed advances. Redecorating the house. The five seed takes out streaming concerts at number four. YouTube, the number six seed, upsets number three virtual workouts. And no surprise here, the two-seed alcohol ousts Dua Lipa's future nostalgia. You got any arguments there, Fitz? Well, I'm a little surprised, like, virtual workouts, uh, you know, those those were a big deal. Like, you know, Agreed. I think maybe Peloton is going to, yeah, I mean, it's going to do well 
Uh, also really surprised, like, okay, look, redecorating the house was something I said should go in there because I found myself uh, finding every opportunity to paint a room or redesign it. Like, I get that. But streaming concerts was a pretty substantial yeah. thing for most of us. So I think there's a couple of upsets there that really surprised me. I would agree with you. I do think redecorating the house, like, you know, we I, I did a little bit of that, but streaming concerts were much more therapeutic for me than redecorating was. Other yeah. than, I guess... The indoor plants that I now have 28 of. So maybe, maybe the, that's its own separate thing in the, uh, in the Northeast uh, quarter though. So maybe that's where people uh, spend a lot of time too. Uh, we head to the Southwest region and there are a lot of good ones in this. We've got a number one seat of sweatpants. No, oh, that's sweatpants. On... This is, this is a tough <laughs> number one seat to take down sweatpants. Go ahead. I don't think you can, to be honest with you. I have four pairs of pants that I've worn almost the entire year. And they are actually, no, make it six because I'm a lunatic and I liked them so much that I bought the same pair of Lululemon pants, four different ones of the same pants. And then I bought two pairs of the same Athleta pants that I liked. And that, that six pairs of pants has just been the entire year, basically, except for the occasional time when I had to leave the house and attempt to squeeze into jeans. Okay, I was just that I'm this many seconds old when I found out it, that is Athleta. I always thought it was Athleta. I didn't. It know It might Athleta. be Athleta. Oh, I don't. Know. I don't know. But, but it's hard to I'm say because athlete. I, I mean, you, yours. It might be Athleta. I've said I both. Know. I don't know why I just said Athleta because I sometimes say Athleta. But showing my true frugal fashion, I too bought several pairs of the same sweats or you know jogging pants, whatever. For guys, they just came from Walmart. That's all. It's just several, like, oh, I like that. So I bought, like, a ton of colors. Yeah. So I think sweatpants is really going to be a tough one to beat. Um, I'm posting all of these to vote now. At Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Uh, Sweatpants has to take on RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul's Drag Race. a show that I absolutely love, but I don't think anybody stands a chance against sweatpants. If you haven't watched it, go watch RuPaul's Drag Race. It's a little bit of America's Next Top Model meets, like, uh, you know, meets uh, any of the design shows. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's going to go down though. I'm, I'm almost certain yeah. sweatpants oh, is going to take them out. Uh, number four, bulk toilet paper takes on Peloton. Now it feels like this one, uh, you know, Peloton is going to be much more the late, uh, grower. And I think bulk toilet paper like that was early in the pandemic. So I don't know how much people still feel that tension. Uh, by the way, Mike Oleg Jr. Famously bought massive rolls of toilet paper and had to buy like a whole, <laughs> Uh, a special holder for it. So it's like one <laughs> roll of toilet paper that lasts a month. So, oh, you know, uh, apparently people, you know, you can't even buy bulk on one roll. There you go. Wow. That's, uh, I think, I think Peloton might be the upset there. We'll find out. Number three seed public parks taking on cooking. Now I was going to be more specific with, you know, making sourdough or banana bread, but I felt like cooking was just solid. And I did a lot of cooking the last year, way more than usual. Yeah, and there's a lot of, like, the virtual cooking classes and then learning right. stuff on YouTube on it. I'm with you. Like, for me, cooking, I, I think the 60-year cooking is going to demolish public parks because I think Ooh. a lot of people have been in there just, like, getting it and suddenly feel like we're all ready for guys' grocery games. I agreed, but to be fair, public parks for a while there was, like, the only place we could go. Like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that is fair. That is absolutely fair. <laughs> like, like, that was all we had, and it was necessary to get outside and be able to space from your friends but still hang out with them. So that's going to be a tough one. And then, finally, the two-seed TikTok versus the seven-seed virtual therapy. Very different things, both very much relied upon in 2020. 
Yeah, I mean, one gets you like really quick blasts of joy, but then you still remember you're in a pandemic, and then the other gives you hour long cry sessions to figure out you're still in a <laughs> pandemic. So it really, you know, it's it's a bit of win win, bit of lose lose on that. I, I think TikTok's going to come out on that one, but that one's going to be close. Good to watch. Yeah, and I feel like the the therapy you usually probably leave thinking it was an hour well spent, whereas the TikTok you're like that was a three hours that I didn't realize I spent, uh, which <laughs> might be might yeah. be the deciding factor there. Although in the pandemic times, a lot of people had some time to kill, so maybe TikTok wins out for being the the time suck. It's Spain and Fitz. You can vote at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz on that bracket. Coming up, the NBA trade deadline rapidly approaching. Who could be on the move? We'll talk about it with an expert next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you're just tuning in, guess what? You get extra Spain and Fitz tonight. That's right. We're going an extra 30 minutes as we're going to take you all the way up to the Jazz Nets game tonight that you can listen to on ESPN Radio. In the meantime, let's head over to the Goodyear hotline for some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The NBA trade deadline is coming down tomorrow, so to help us break it all down, we're joined by ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks. Bobby Thanks for the time, man. We always appreciate it. So uh, walk me through. Kyle Lowry seems to be the big name that everybody continually talks about right now. So if you're Toronto and you're sitting here on the eve of the trade deadline, how heated does this get? What's the process for the team that's fielding the offers? Yeah, and it's interesting. They're up pretty big right now in Denver, and both guys are playing, um, Norm Powell and, and Kyle Lowry. And I think, you know, Kyle's such a unique situation because, how much he's done to that for that organization and you win a championship. And I think he somewhat dictates where his next destination is going to be. If they can find a, a trade partner with Philadelphia or Miami, or even a, a team like a uh, team like the Lakers. Um, so that's kind of, you know, he is part of the conversation. Usually, you know, during this pro, you know time of year, the player is not part of the conversation, but himself and his agent, Mark Bartlestein, will be part of the conversation if there is a trade to be presented to them as far as if, if he wants to finish you know, the rest of the season on, on one of those three teams. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the inner workings when it comes to, when it comes to Lowry. You know, Philadelphia is intriguing, but you know, they're sitting in the top spot in the, uh, in the Eastern Conference. Rarely do we see a, a team kind of rip rip down some of their roster parts, especially a guy like Danny Green. And Miami doesn't have, you know, first-round pick to trade. So um, it's it's going to be interesting. As I said, they're playing tonight. So if, there, if they were not – if there was a deal close to be doing, um, both, you know, both these guys would not be on the court. Bobby, I've heard a lot of conversation about the trade deadline itself, maybe not having as much action as we expect, and a lot happening in the buyout market. Can you explain to people the difference there and why maybe this year we'll see more action after the deadline? Yeah, a couple of things, Sarah. I mean, um, less action this year because the play-in tournament. We've expanded, you know, plus uh, two in the East, two in the West. There are a lot of teams that still are fighting to get in there, especially a team like Sacramento or um, Chicago. You know, the buyout market, market, we've seen Blake Griffin in Detroit, uh, you know, give back $13 million and then go sign in Brooklyn. Two players are, have been parked at home for over a month, uh, Andre Drummond in Cleveland and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge in San Antonio. I don't think either player gets traded because they earn so much money in the, to match the salaries. J.J. Reddick's going to be another interesting name um, to, to watch as far as a, a buyout candidate and you put those three guys on, a, on the open market and, you know, there's really no cap restrictions. Um, you know, all you're doing is just signing them for what they gave back. 
then you're looking at these marquee teams like the Lakers, the Nets, the Heat, um, Philadelphia, the Clippers, you know, some of these upper echelon teams making a bid to go get an Andre Drummond, and it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, that's the beauty of the buyout market. You don't have to trade a draft pick or you don't have to trade a player out. You're basically, it's like free agency, and and, in late March, you're just trying to recruit that player. So you're just concerned there would be someone else scooping him up, and, and you can look around at the market and their salary and say you're not worried about that. Yeah, I'm not. You know, if I'm if I'm a team like um, let's say the Lakers regarding Andre Drummond, I'm I'm not concerned he gets traded. Um, you know, tomorrow, and you know we're going to lose out on him. I think it's just a matter of do we what we can offer and a playing time and a starting role. Does that outweigh you know what maybe a team like Brooklyn or even the Knicks could could offer? We're talking to ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So. Bobby, I'm making you the GM of the Lakers. you got an injury situation with LeBron. We all know that this team looks like their championship caliber. If they're healthy, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, Woja talked about Kyle Lowry earlier today. And, um, you know, to get a guy like Kyle Lowry, it's, it will cost you probably Contavious, Cole, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Dennis Schroeder, Talon Horton-Tucker. Kyle Lowry doesn't make you better now, but he makes you better come mid-May. When, you're, when your two horses are back healthy, uh, hopefully they get back a little bit earlier. It's hard. I mean, my, my gut would be just kind of ride it out, and, you know, and, and these two players will get back. And if you're in the sixth seed or if you're in the playing tournament, you know, you'll roll, it, you'll, you'll roll the dice with, uh, with that. It's just, it's just hard making, you know, it's hard making a trade where Colwell Pope's got two more years left and, you know, Schroeder's on an expiring. As far as upgrading, it's very hard to upgrade your roster with 30 games left in the season, especially when you know that your two main guys are, you know, will be back eventually here. So I'm, I'm sitting tight unless something really, um, you know, really makes sense, but they're going to go through some pain in the next couple of weeks. I mean, they are taking on a lot of water here uh, and they're just going to have to kind of endure it and, and, and wait for LeBron and AD to get back. Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz talking to ESPN NBA front office insider, Bobby Marks ahead of tomorrow's NBA trade deadline. What do you think happens with Victor Oladipo? I think he'll get traded. You know, he, I think he can be had for um, probably a lottery protected, you know, first round pick. Um, you know, the destination is kind of we're still in that TBD. It's, it's a fluid situation with uh, with Oladipo. I think I think Sarah, the interesting thing that you know we'll find out down the road is why didn't Houston just take Karis Levert instead of Victor Oladipo, and you would have had Levert for you know the next. You know, he's under contract this year and the next two years at a good number when that Harden deal came about. And you wouldn't have to be worried about finding uh, a new home for Victor Oladipo pressed against the deadline. Bobby, I mean, at some point I'm trying to figure out who acquires Victor Oladipo and suddenly it makes them drastically better. Like, what is the upside for that? I don't see it. I don't, Jason, I don't see him changing the, the, you know, the landscape in the East, if it's in Miami, uh, I don't think, you know, teams like Philly or Brooklyn or, you know, certainly play Milwaukee, definitely not, um, you know, out West. I, I, I just don't see him, you know, making that much of an impact. Um, you know, but he, he's, you know, it's taken him a, a while to recover from that injury from a, from a couple of years ago. And he's been really inconsistent here. And you basically get him on a 30 day, you know, 30 game rental. And um, it's hard for me to pinpoint a team, or a destination, but 
we'll see. You know, I, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, there's not much cap space this offseason. And if you like Victor Oladipo and you want to try to re-sign him and use bird rights to exceed the cap, then maybe you could you take a swing for the next uh, for the next two months on him. Uh, Bobby, I heard you on Zach Lowe's podcast telling a very depressing story about having uh, repetitive <laughs> dreams about the NBA trade deadline. Uh, one in particular about a trade that's absolutely not going to happen, but you still had to wake up at 3 a.m. and Google it just to make sure. Uh, I, I don't know when you recorded that. I think it was maybe yesterday or the day before. Any other nightmares to report? You know what? No. The only nightmare I'm, I'm, I'm having, um, Sarah, is because I'm in Bristol. And I'm, the only thing I'm, is, is I'm dreaming about is, like, oversleeping my wake-up call <laughs> to get on, like, 7.15 a.m. Sports Center. I've got, like, four alarms going. And I don't know. I guess maybe we're just in a slow period with these trades that the – you know, the trade that, you know, the trade that woke me up a week ago was, you know, it was uh, Kyrie Irving for Kyle Lowry and Paul George. And I woke up in a sweat think, saying, like, the money doesn't work. The money doesn't work. And I'm looking at my phone and, and Woj hasn't uh, tweeted it out. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it didn't happen. But when you're when that happens at 430, you're up for the rest of the rest of the morning. I tell you, like what Bobby just said is so true for all of us. Like you wake up, you you suddenly think something's happening. Just look at Woj's Twitter. Whatever Woj just tweeted gives us all the uh, straight talk we need. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. Bobby, we appreciate your insight. Hopefully this is a little less stressful than trade deadline day. You know, hopefully this has brought you a little bit of joy, my friend. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's always interesting to me, you know, when you talk to Bobby about like the value. And I think one of the most complicated things is that nothing in the NBA is easy when it comes to figuring out who can be traded, matching dollars, what it means for buyouts instead. Like there is. I let the experts do it. uh, All of that, the bird rights and the matching salaries. And like it, it, it really has hampered our ability to just throw, you know, what against the wall, because a lot of them, if somebody knows better, they're like, yeah, that's not possible. You're like, okay, fine. You guys handle it. (laughs) <laughs> this is a true story in, in high school my calculus teacher at one point came up to me and said hey you're good at something in life and it's not math so you should never do this again <laughs> i'm expecting someday for for bobby just to be like hey this no this is just not your thing just let 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 the experts handle it all right coming up there was an important discussion today what will come of it we'll get you caught up on something you need to know next spain and fitz on espn radio you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast if you are just tuning in sarah spain jason fitz you're thinking it's near the end of our show? It is not, because you're getting bonus time. Bonus time coming up, because we're taking you all the way to the NBA. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight. Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz host the Nets, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Uh, we'll have John Barry join us at the top of the hour, by the way. We'll get his thoughts on this game and what to expect uh, from everything coming through as it's trade deadline tomorrow. We'll have a lot of that coverage for you also Uh, tomorrow as we continue to have all eyes on the NBA. But in the meantime, today, Sarah, all eyes have been on something different and something that is uh, incredibly important. As you posted a uh, post on social media in an awesome sweatshirt that just said, pay women, which I thought (laughs) nothing of because it's just a solid message. I mean, like that just in and of itself, I was like, oh, that's really awesome. But it turns out that it's more than just that, as today is uh, it's equal pay day. So it's a day to bring awareness to the want to make sure that there's equal pay and platform for everybody across the board, which is important given the conversations we've already been having about the discrepancies between the men's and women's side of the NCAA tournament. But it goes further as it, it affects and impacts all sports, and really all of society. 
Yeah, and it was really cool to see representation from Megan Rapino um, and and her teammate Midge Purse today at the White at the White House talking about Equal Pay Day. And you know, there's a lot to talk about whether it's in sports or otherwise. And in addition to the comments that she made. Uh, There was also a group of House Democrats, 36 of them, demanding answers of Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, for the gender disparities at the tournament. Um, This is not going away. This is not something that they can have some weight equipment donated and people will stop asking about. There's a great story in The Washington Post about it um, where they really want to find out how their championship competitions are run, making sure they adhere to the principles of Title IX. They're going to review all of them in every sport. And uh, this there's some there's some sticking power to the to the way they're trying to hold Mark Emmert and the NCAA's feet to the fire. Uh, and then some of what Megan Rapino and Mitch Purse had to say, I thought was really moving. And I wanted to play a little bit of it. Um, here's what here's what Megan said. There's no level of status and there's no accomplishment or power that will protect you from the clutches of inequality. One cannot simply outperform inequality or be excellent enough to escape discrimination of any kind. And I'm here today because I know firsthand that this is true. We're so often told in this country that if you just work hard and continue to achieve, you will be rewarded and rewarded fairly. It's the promise of the American dream, but that promise has not been for everyone. The United States women's national team has won four World Cup championships. We've won four Olympic gold medals on behalf of this great country. We've filled stadiums. We've broken viewing records. We've sold out our jerseys, all the popular metrics by which we are judged. And yet, despite all of this, we're still paid less than our male counterparts. For each trophy, of which there are many, for each win, for each tie, for each time we play, less. In fact, instead of lobbying with the women's team in our efforts for equal pay and equality in general, U.S. Soccer Federation has continually lobbied against our efforts and the efforts of millions of people marginalized by gender in the United States. And if it can happen to us and it can happen to me with the brightest light shining on us at all times, it can and it does happen to every person who is marginalized by gender. But we don't have to wait. We don't have to continue to be patient for decades on end. We can change that today. We can change that right now. We just have to want to. So, as always, LFG. Thank you. First of all, love, love that she threw an LFG in at the White House and, and in these conversations. Um, very quick bit from teammate Midge Purse, who was a player at Harvard, is now on Sky Blue FC. I just thought this was lovely. You would never expect a flower to bloom without water. But women in sport who have been denied water, sunlight, and soil are somehow expected to blossom. Invest in women, then let's talk again when you see the return. Yeah, I mean, that's what it boils down to, Fitz. It's it's a constant holding up of a product and saying it doesn't do the same things while never acknowledging that the investment has never been there. I think that's the biggest thing that always hits me when, when we talk about this. And, and realistically, it's not that different. I'll go back to my music background. Uh, you know, country music for years has had problems getting women played on radio, getting enough platform. But 
the argument has always been that it takes investment. And you see that because, frankly, songs, no matter how great your songs are, you need somebody that's going to push those songs and uh, get the right places to play those songs. And, like, there's a whole background that has to happen to make a hit song. And I don't think sports are that different. Like, it takes a real investment and a decision that you're going to grow something. It takes an investment over time. And it takes the understanding that, hey, we're trying to build something today that will pay for itself and make money uh, this many years down the road. Like, there has to be a whole process and understanding. I think what really hits me about the NCAA is that it's cute that the NCAA continues to continue to, like, put out the, the message that they want equality, but their actions never seem to show that. And, you know, that that's what doesn't make any sense. And for Mark Emmert to think that he can get away with that now when Congress is calling out uh, this portion, but has also been on their tails about the name image likeness issues. Like they've got to understand they no longer work in a bubble. And what you see from Megan and, you know, people speaking in general at the White House is that politics have now become involved because it's the only way that anybody can get it done. Like you've got to go to a higher power to get anybody to listen to the problems that, that, that women's sports are facing. And there's no easy solution. But shouldn't the best minds all be sitting down figuring out what the solutions viably are? Yeah, I mean, if you look at something like Title IX, you very often have to put things into law for real change to happen. It would be nice if that were not the case. But massive changes to the equity issues for women, for people of color, for different religions, for sexualities, those all depend on there being laws in place to protect and advance. And so if that's the case with equal pay and and things like that, um, then maybe it has to occur in other spaces as well. Um, and, you know, there's and go ahead. Let me just say to that quickly, too, Sarah, like you think about Title IX laws that were put in place specifically to give equity and scholarships. But now, as has been mentioned in several lawsuits against schools, I'll, I'll list Michigan State as one is they're facing a, a lawsuit right now. It's at least they've been accused at this point of cooking the books to the point that they're adding scholarships that never even happened on one side to try and sort of pretend that they're within the rights of those laws. So even when laws are created, the people that are supposed to be living within them are out there blatantly breaking those rules so that they simply don't have to do what they've been told to do. It's it's maddening because it seems like people are less interested in the solution and more interested in just doing what they want to do anyway. I completely agree. But at least there's recourse or there should be. Yeah. And that that can always be threatened in cases where teams are not abiding by it. Um, you know, part of what the House Democrats letter uh, was today included that the championship competitions need to adhere to Title IX and also a break demanded a breakdown of resources using to um, investigate and identify gender disparities at member colleges, um, pointing out specifically that the NCA withholds March Madness as a brand from its women's tournament. There is no good reason to prevent the women from benefiting from the March Madness brand. That is not a reflection uh, of of any commitment whatsoever to equity and equality. Um, You know, there are some positives that are coming out of the voices that we've heard, some of whom we've talked to today, Sedona Prince and Nell Fortner, um, some of the men's players, WNBA players that have spoken out. Um, and there are some things on the horizon that are good. The first all-female crew tonight for Raptors uh, broadcast in Canada. All women and nine non-binary people doing the broadcast for Kings Cavs Saturday on NBC Sports. We're opening these doors and we're pushing through some of them, but we got to keep that same energy. What we're seeing with this NCAA tournament they just hoped we didn't pay attention or didn't care enough, and they were very wrong because the energy is there, and it's now being kept even at the highest levels. 
the energy is such an important thing, and it's been a common thread throughout our conversations today. Social media is being used to give voices to people that in the past necessarily didn't have them, and platform is being used at a different level. This this conversation is not going anywhere because the women that are able to impact the conversation are choosing to do so at the highest possible level. That's what's inspiring about it. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 